Porcelain Peak. On this very special episode, we are going to discuss the new 2018 Halloween film. Be prepared for spoilers. 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 Hey everyone, it's me, <laughs> Anthony, and John. We're here with this bonus episode to talk about the 2018 film, Halloween. We mentioned that we were going to do this bonus episode, so what better day to release it than on Halloween itself? Yeah. So, uh, man, I, I was uh, really confused there for a second. I was like, I was like, where did Anthony come from? I thought I was recording with Bella Lugosi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not the worst thing anyone's ever called me, so I'm going to take it. <laughs> All right, so like we said, this is going to feature spoilers because there's no way that we are going to be able to go into a good discussion about this film without doing spoilers. So if you have not seen Halloween from 78 or Halloween from 2018... Walk away. (laughs) Yes, walk away. Not a slow Michael Myers walk, but a fast one. Get out. So let's get into it. Um, Initially, I like this movie. Mm -hmm. I wanted to love this movie. Because there was so much buildup, and I love the franchise. You know, like we mentioned in the last episode, we got steelbooks of one of the franchises, yeah, the entries in this franchise. So uh, I wanted to love it. I did not love it, but I liked it. So uh, I mean, I'll, I'll preface this with: this movie is a boatload of fun. It definitely is a love letter to. The Halloween series. While it does wipe the lexicon clean and you just have Halloween 78 as your one like lead up to this, it does have little Easter eggs and little things where it pokes fun at some of the other movies in the series in the franchise. And that's a lot of fun to me. And it's something that I like to watch and try to pick apart. That being said, there are some things that would keep it, keep it from being like, you know... One of my favorites from this from this series. I mean, I would say that it's probably best to try to break things down and go, you know, go through the movie, you know, chunk by chunk. The opening scene for this movie is incredible. A very tense scene. You know, they you have these reporters coming up who are trying to record their podcast. They walk up to Michael, who's standing out in this courtyard, chained into the square, and there's this tense moment where they have his mask. And they're holding it behind him, telling him to turn around and telling him to reach out and take it. And there's just this tense aura about everything. It just feels so dramatic. And the music just swells up. John Carpenter did a fantastic job with the soundtrack for this movie. So good. He still got it. Yeah, he still got it. I mean, for someone who had, like, little to no musical experience prior to 78, like, this is an incredible feat. Like, he knows how to build dramatic tension with that music. And that, like I said, that scene was one of the standouts for me. It just has so much oomph to it. It just it sets the tone in the right direction. What I like, too, about that scene is that the male podcaster is doing everything he can to try and evoke emotion into Michael to get him to react in any kind of way. But what they did is they have Michael have basically no reaction mm-hmm. to anything, which tells me as an audience member of what his state of mind is. He still doesn't have any emotion. So when he starts killing, which you know is going to happen, 
he, it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter where it is. He's not going to care. He's a machine. He is just a shape. And that's cool that they set that up for you because you're like, okay, he's not reacting to that. And you, part of you wants him to react, but the fact that he doesn't is more intense. Yeah. So after that opening scene, we pull into... Haddonfield? Yeah, we pull into Haddonfield <laughs> and we, we see these two people... Trying to approach Lori. They come up to this compound and there's these giant fences, and it just seems like someone who's had their life scarred like this would definitely ha- go through these measures and try to make this, you know, elaborate, you know, fortress to try to protect themselves. And that scene, it was it was hard to watch. Like it wasn't like a like in a bad way. I feel like Jamie Lee Curtis is is the scream queen. I feel like this gave her horror pedigree a little, a little something more. The, one of the things that I really liked about this movie is they tried to blur the line. They tried to take Michael Myers. They tried to take Laurie Stroud and they tried to blur the line between the two. And they tried to make it seem like they had more in common than you would think, but they tried to blur that line between the two and in a lot of ways, they succeeded. There were like little things that they had in common that just were so, so interesting. And it was something that I took away um, as a as a positive for me. And I know that there were some parts about it that you you were a little more conflicted about. But from that opening scene where she's talking to the podcasters and they're just being they're being very cavalier and rude with her, I feel like her reaction was proper, and that she just told them to. Get out of my house. Give me my money. And that's the end of that. And I really appreciated that particular scene because it does set some things up. Like I said, that they're, that, that, uh, as they say in Scream, uh, she's got some battle scars, dude. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a, uh, it's, that's a, that's a rough thing to try to survive from. And they do a great job of setting up where she's coming from through the next part of the movie where you get to see her interaction with these people and then you get to see her interaction with her family. Mm -hmm. And so they're giving you this backstory a little bit through exposition and then a little bit through the relationship that is on screen. Yeah. And you get to see some of the tension, but like you were saying with the line blurred, I'm fine with that. Who's who type of deal. But for me, what I didn't enjoy was how much the scenes were the same from other movies. Mm -hmm. I love a good homage, and this movie has some, which I thought were great. They were subtle. Like the homage to Halloween 3. You get to see kids in masks just walking by. And for me, that's enough. And then there's a part which we had discussed where, where the sheriff mentions... The Babysitter Murders from 78, which, again, is a nod to what the original was supposed to be titled. And that stuff, where it's subtle and it's a service to fans, Mm -hmm. you know? The other stuff where you see Laurie standing on the sidewalk or the recreation of the famous balcony scene from the first one, I, I had a hard time liking it because I wanted this movie to be its own thing mm-hmm. and not rely on what Halloween had already done. And I felt like there were a lot of scenes where they were just piecing together scenes from other entries in the franchise, mm-hmm. you know? 
and I wanted it to do its own thing. So there are parts that do their own thing, like with him in the asylum a bit, and with Laurie being this different person than we've ever had before. Yeah. And I like that stuff, and I enjoy that stuff. And adult Laurie is... She's badass, dude. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, and and multi-layered. It's like the the scene that follows after that where they're at the diner and it's after after the granddaughter has won some kind of an award or something is sad. Like she shows up even though she wasn't really invited, but she knew it was happening because her daughter hadn't invited her to come to this thing because you know, for as far as her daughter is concerned, she's ruined her childhood, you know. You know, constantly being worried about the shape and constantly being worried about, you know, having to fight Michael and and teaching her all of these things that she felt like weren't necessary. She shows up to this to this dinner. They're ma- they're gaslighting her and they're making her feel like she like she doesn't know what she's talking about, even though she knows that that he they're moving him and he's out. And man, it's just a. Like, her emotions and, like, how she goes from, like, trying to be strong and then breaking down a little bit and then going back to being strong. And, like, it's just, like, the amount of hoops they make they make Jamie Lee Curtis jump through through this movie to, to sell this story are are commendable. And I feel like I said, like, she, she totally lives up to the task. You know, she's still got it all these years later. Looks a little, a little different with the long hair, but she's still got it. <laughs> Yeah, there's no argument for me that she did a great job. And the stuff with Lori was cool. There were other characters, though, that I feel like didn't hold their weight in the terms of, in the same way as she did. Like with her daughter, played by Judy Greer. Not that Judy Greer did a bad job. It's just the character wasn't great. Yeah. She's kind of whiny, which is fine. She had a hard childhood, and mm-hmm. I get that. And then when she needed to step up, she stepped up. But she sometimes had bad lines. Yeah, and and you can tell when some of the lines were bad just based on the way that she read them. Like, yeah. there were some times where, you know, Judy Greer is typically a pretty expressive actress. But there were some scenes where it was just like you could tell she didn't like the line. And it was just very, like, wooden, you know, bland readings. And, you know, those are definitely noticeable. They stick out, especially with so many other impassioned performances in this. They definitely stick out. I know there was another character in particular that you were not a big fan of, um, and I'll let I'll let you be the reveal on that one. There's one that's that specifically just seems like he's a plot device. Yeah, so that would be the granddaughter's boyfriend, and a little bit of the granddaughter too. I don't feel like the side story with her and her boyfriend was necessary at all. Mm -hmm. If you take that out, the movie's still the same. And I almost feel like to an extent, if you take the granddaughter out, the movie would still be okay. They could have done ways to make it work because what all he does, well, he doesn't do anything. You take him out, the movie's still exactly the same. Mm -hmm. She goes to a party and then she leaves. You can just do that instead of having them break up for whatever reason. You know what I mean? And he doesn't do anything. After, what, halfway through the movie, you don't see him again. Well, I mean, and I feel like there are two particular scenes that make me disagree with, like, the granddaughter not being a part of things. It's the scene where she's walking home from from the party, and she's walking with the boyfriend's friend, and he makes the move, and then 
she leaves him in this area where he's jumped the fence and then Michael Myers comes to find him. And that scene where they play with the lights and they play with what your, what your preconceptions are and you're constantly looking for where is he going to jump out at? Where is the next, the next step for this? And the way that they executed the kill for this was excellent. It was one of the better kills in the, in the story. And I feel like without having her, you couldn't really find a connection to that. And then the house scene with the granddaughter's friends and the babysitting. That was, I like I said, A, it's a, it's a babysitter murder. So it's, yeah. it, it, it is in its own way somewhat of an homage to, to the original. But it has this, this little black boy <laughs> and he is absolutely hysterical. And I know that the the internet has embraced this character. They're, they're like they're like this is me if I were if I were here. It's like nope, getting out of here. Like yeah. like yeah. And he was very funny. And I felt like while some of the jokes in other parts of the movie were not very well timed and weren't very well written, his lines were all gold. Yeah, no, I thought that he he did a good job. He reacted, I think, how people would. He was vulnerable. Well, at the same time, saying, like, I'm not dealing with this. I'm a kid. Like, yeah. you deal with it. <laughs> and a good thing about that part, too, was that from the trailer, that scene is very spoiled. But what the movie was able to do was to take that and amp it up so that that scene isn't ruined for anyone that watched the trailer and intensifies it to the point where I was like, okay, I know what's coming. And then it happened, and then it kept going, and I was like, was blown away by how intense it still was, even though I knew what was happening. Also, the part with the granddaughter that I did enjoy was the next scene directly after her friend gets spiked is she runs and immediately goes to somebody's house and just starts knocking on doors. I thought that was super realistic. Mm -hmm. Because if you're getting chased by a maniac, you're not just going to run down the street or run into the woods. I would start knocking on doors, like get somebody up to help you. Maybe they're going to get murdered, but at least you tried. (laughs) (laughs) At least you put some distance between you and them. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So, I mean, there there was definitely stuff I liked. I liked the sheriff. I thought he brought it back and he did a great job. And the kills were good. Mm -hmm. I heard some complaints that it maybe wasn't as gory as people had wanted, and I completely disagree with that. There's a scene where a guy gets his head stomped in, and they show all of it. Yeah. And that was cool. And so I had no problems with the gore. Yeah. I thought that was good. And you get to see a lot of the kills, and that's what you want. You want to see Michael doing his thing. Yeah. He's an artist, you know? (laughs) (laughs) But what another part that kind of fell... Short for me, and this might sound like a weird thing, but I feel like for a Halloween movie, it's a bigger deal than it would be in a different franchise. I didn't love the way he moved. I thought he moved a little bit too fast, Yeah, if that makes sense. He didn't have that same kind of glide as he does in the other entries in this franchise. And I think a lot of that stems from Nick Castle was... The scenes where you see Michael Myers, where you see him from behind and you see his his visage, his profile, they do a great job. And one thing that I really loved about it is that they don't show his face. Mm-hmm. Those scenes are Nick Castle. The scenes where he's moving around and the mask is already on and you don't have any any like real vision about him, those are scenes that are with a different actor. And you can tell just in the gait. The yeah. way that they walk is different. Like I said, nobody moves the same way that Nick Castle does. And I feel like that's something that's visible on screen. It came through for me 
And so th- I thought that was strange. I also didn't love the scene where they almost wrote it just to show him get a knife. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about. He goes and he like walks into some random garage, grabs a hammer, goes inside, kills a lady who just happens to be making a sandwich. And then takes her knife. Yeah. Just so that we can see how Michael got his knife. Which for me, I don't need to know. Just let him get the knife however he gets it. It just felt like they wrote that scene specifically just so he could get that. Yeah. And we could have the knife. It's like, whatever. I just assume he carries one on. <laughs> <laughs> and and like I said, there is there there are some cool parts about that scene. But I think some of it is messed up by the way that he moves. The scene before it, though, where he gets the mask is absolutely terrifying. Just how he stalks, stalks that woman into the bathroom. And just and they show it in the trailer, and I wish they didn't, but it was still just as visceral, was just when he reaches his hand over and drops the handful of teeth and, like, starts chasing her through the bathroom, you know, looking under, trying to, like, get through, breaking down doors. And then the, the male podcaster comes in to try to save the day and gets his... Gets his, his Stuff pushed in, you know. It, it's a. Uh, it was just. It was a visceral scene. It was one of the scenes where they set the tone, where they were like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna show you the nasty stuff. You're gonna see the gore. Have fun." It was just, just watching that guy get ragdolled around a room was just oh, it was so good. Yeah, and it really again sets you up, shows you Michael still got it. Yeah, you know. And then there's a scene with a child that I'm surprised people aren't complaining about. But it shows you that this Michael's a little bit different. Mm-hmm. He's doing whatever he wants. He's a force. And he's always been a force, but he's even stronger than he was and willing to do whatever it takes yeah. to get the job done, I guess. And he didn't he didn't fully break the carnal sin, though. He does walk by a crib with a screaming baby. I, th- I thought they were going to do it. I because... thought he was. I thought he was just going to reach in and yeah. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, they never do that. I mean, well, I guess they do that more now. Yeah. Where you do see babies getting hurt, which... I mean, if it works, it works. But I was like, Michael's got to have a line somewhere, right? Yeah. And he does. Yeah. <laughs> it was that in, baby. Just infants. So that one infant. <laughs> yeah. At least. And I don't know how you felt about it, but there's a scene, and this is a huge spoiler, and I guess all of this is. Yeah. But he is in the police car, and he's unconscious, and then he wakes up with the granddaughter next to him, and then decides not to kill her but he was just chasing her before this and then she gets away and i thought that was very strange Mm -hmm. because when is michael gonna wake up and not immediately kill that person i think that they make it seem like it wasn't necessarily number one on his list because he is a force, because he moves at the beat of his own drum no one is michael myers but michael myers (laughs) his concern was Get me out of the back of this police car so I can do what I do. And killing someone was going to take time away from that. So instead he kicks down the grate and breaks out of the car. And then from there he goes back about doing his business. You know, he uh, takes care of the the good doctor uh, for for the right reasons. Uh, I felt like... That's been something that, you know, discussions that we've had since we saw it, that that's been very divisive. Some people, I I personally enjoyed the doctor, you know, taking that turn and not being the next Loomis, basically being like, oh, I want to egg him on and see what we can find out. I think that that was intriguing and it was different. And I liked that about it, that it, that it, it kind of bucked the trend and kind of subverted your expectations a little bit. 
uh, there are a lot of people who did not like that, that they were like, oh, we expected the next Loomis and we got this guy who's just a weird, like, almost like the guy from the human centipede <laughs> kind of, <laughs> kind of character. Well, I think what's hard and they do, they do build it to where it doesn't seem super out of left field. Mm-hmm. Once it happens, you're like, okay, I could see the stuff that he was saying, how it kind of leads to that. And I did think that he was going to be sort of this antagonistic character in the way that he wanted them to meet for different reasons. Yeah. Because he wanted to see what would happen for Michael from a psychological standpoint. And that was really interesting to me. And I didn't mind him turning and killing and being a that much of a bad guy. The biggest problem for me is that it immediately goes absolutely nowhere. Yeah. He gets this big character turn and then he's instantly killed. And so... I like I told you the other day would have liked for them to cut out boyfriend stuff and instead spent that time developing this idea of where you get this doctor being evil mm. adopting the pure evil <laughs> <laughs> yeah doctor evil <laughs> yeah so I want him to ask for 1 million dollars <laughs> yeah so my thought is is that it's not necessarily to show you anything really about the doctor or that his turn is going to have some big shift and some weight. It's to show that no one is, no one is a team player with Michael Myers, that that's not possible that Michael Myers kills indiscriminately except for infants. (laughs) It's, it's meant to show like even this person who's like, Oh yes, Michael, put your mask on. Let's do this. Like I'm here to support you. And then he gets, Instantly shotgunned. Game over. You don't get to be a, uh, you're not in rush hour three. Game over. See you later. You know, it's, I felt like it had, it, it went somewhere. Like I said, it, it was to show that no one is on his team, that he's alone. And I, it's, yeah, like you were saying, it shows that there's anything's at stake that in, again, that he doesn't have any emotion toward it. So, I get it from that. I still don't love the idea of it, though. <laughs> yeah. I love the mask. I thought mm-hmm. the mask looked really good. It looked dirty. A lot of people were complaining that it looked old because Michael Myers is old. But once you get it on screen, it just looked like it's just dirty. Worn. Yeah, just looks worn. Wrinkly like an old person would be. Yeah. <clears throat> then a cool throwback. They show briefly his eye being messed up from the first one. I like that. Once we get to the climax at Lori's house, her house is really cool yeah. and very interesting. One thing that really bugged me, and I hadn't told you this, so I'm interested to see your reaction, is that she has this kitchen island, right? Mm-hmm. And she has a remote for it that she hits, and it swings open to reveal like a basement. No joke. And I was watching. Every time they would hit that and go into the basement, they left the remote on the counter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, d- I definitely noticed that. And I was like, so he could just open it. I mean, but they showed that that's not necessary, too. Like, it's not a yeah. – there's no real intention for that. Like, it's – he just pushes it over. Like, <laughs> I know, but, like, still. Yeah. I was like, why, why would you leave the remote for your trap door on the counter? And I guess – they're trying to trap him, so it doesn't really matter. That's yeah, they want him to get in. Like going down, he wants. They want him down there. Yeah, but I thought that was weird, and I, I was like, "Why do they keep doing that?" Yeah. <laughs> One thing that we talked about a couple of days ago about this was that 
the um, the son-in-law was killed unceremoniously out in the front yard, and there's almost no reaction. Yeah, and that was another another thing that, like I said, I felt like could have been better about about Judy Greer's character is that she could have at least reacted. Anybody could have reacted to that a little yeah. bit more. They kind of just were like, whatever. Well, I could understand Laurie not reacting because he was kind of a kind of a jerk. Like he treated her with complete disrespect. If I treated my mother-in-law that way, I'd get I'd get a get uh, uh, boots to the face, medium She'd style. She'd still be sad if you got murdered. <laughs> yeah, but like it's still like I said, it's it, there's got to be some reaction, yeah. and there wasn't anything. I agree with that. But what they did too, and part of him and his dead body helped with that was play with ideas. Yeah. So instead of just doing the scene where things are flipped, which again it was, they played with audience expectations too. She's opening this closet, Michael's going to be in there, and then it's not. Mm-hmm. And so that's, to me, that was a okay jump scare because you were expecting it one, and it wasn't Michael, which is what you were expecting. So it kind of plays with your ideas of what's happening next. Yeah. And her house is crazy. Yeah, oh, like the, like the, the closing time retail little gates. <laughs> yeah, I loved that scene where she's going room to room, gun and flashlight in hand, just clear, slam, clear, clear, slam. You know, just going from room to room, clearing out the house. Smart. I think yeah. that that's great writing because that's such a cool idea. And since he does stock and he is going from room to room. That's brilliant. How are you going to stop him? Oh, I'm going to turn the room into a cage so he yeah. can't do anything about it. Smart. That's brilliant. That on David Gordon Green and Danny McBride's part was fantastic. Yes. It's one of the best scenes in the whole movie. Yeah, and there's so much tension in it too. And you almost want to root for Michael a little bit, but you know he's still a bad guy because he's killed a kid. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, wow, what's happening? <laughs> How do I feel? And she steps it up, and so she is stalking, but you can tell she's still scared and still vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Which I like that they did that. They didn't make her unbelievable and unstoppable. Yeah. It is Terminator 2-ish <laughs> mm-hmm. with Linda Hamilton's character in that way where she's she's taking action and she's taking on this big thing. Or like like Ripley. Yeah, same. Where she's going to just go for it. And that's fine. I'm cool with that because those are some of the best examples of strong female characters that we have yeah. in horror or sci-fi movies uh, or both. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the – let's talk about the ending. Judy Gurr has some cheesy lines. <laughs> there was a part where she's like, it's not, a, it's not a cage. It's a trap. Yeah. And I was like, isn't that – the same Basically thing, the yeah. same thing. These yeah. are synonyms. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then they got him, which is cool, and that was fine. And that scene has the good tension. Yeah. And they do the smartest thing. They burn him. I thought they were going to just unload on him. And they make him vulnerable. He gets shot, and you see him getting shot, and you see him dealing with those effects. Mm-hmm. And that's cool, too, because he, you know, we don't have Loomis to sit and call him pure evil constantly. Yeah. But we get to see his vulnerability, but also his determination. And so I think Michael, as a character, there's development through, even though he doesn't exhibit any lines or any emotion, really. 
the way that his actions are presented yeah. and the way that he responds to actions in return. And like I said, the, the biggest thing for that, for that scene for me, like I said, it, it is a little goofy. It is a little cheesy, but I think that they also seem to be intending to potentially set up for some kind of a sequel. Yeah. Which I thought was strange. Do we want, Another one, and if we do, can we call it Halloween 2? So now there's three Halloween 2s. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I'd be interested. Like, I, like I was intrigued by this. I'm still intrigued to see what they could do because they did, they did a lot right. They did some wrong, but they did a lot right. Like, I, like, that's enough for me to, to be like, okay, let's keep trying. I and, know that Jimmy Lee Curtis did say that she would do another one if David Gordon Green directed it. Mm-hmm. And considering how much money this movie's making... Oh, it's I hand can't... over fist. What? It's hand over fist. So much money. Oh, yeah. And there's no way they're not going to try if they can. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's making... It's got at least over 10 times its return. I want to say at least like 15 times yeah. its budget. So typically it's like the budget doubled is how much they spent on marketing. Yeah. And so that would be twenty million, I think, and then so they would need to make more than that to make a profit. And they've and already they've, done that. Yeah. <laughs> that's which is nuts, and that's cool that they're able to do that. And I'm pretty sure it was the top movie from the box office this weekend as well, which makes sense. It's the last weekend before Halloween. Yeah, I wish. Yeah, so they didn't show him burning, mm-hmm. and I wish that they would have. And I get why they didn't, but. If they're going to make him keep going, they need to make it real tight how he got out of this house that she spent 40 years making escape proof. Yeah. They need to make it make a lot of sense. And I hope that if they do, they they do that. They accomplish that. Um, yeah. Any uh, final thoughts on the movie as far as like a whole, you know? I mean, I know I'm sounding pretty cynical and I'm not trying to hate on this movie because it does do some good stuff. And I would have been okay with all of it if the atmosphere was just a little bit different. I think for me, I wanted it to be a little bit grittier and a little bit grimier. Mm-hmm. So it did feel like a continuation of Halloween in a way. Because that movie is very gritty. Yeah. And I didn't get that atmosphere. It almost didn't feel like a horror movie in some parts. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. I don't know if you felt any of that. So I felt that there was there was some grit and some grime, but it could have done with more. Um, like I said, as far as if you're removing everything from the continuity, like having having this be a direct continuation of a movie that came out in 1978, I wish it had more of that 1978 flair. Yeah. But as far as setting the atmosphere is concerned, the music helps tremendous that's amount. true and the music the music's fantastic and it builds on those themes and it builds on the halloween themes because we are getting the classic stuff from the guy that created it yeah and he is able to do more with it which i would have expected him to do mm-hmm. and it's not so it's not the same stuff it's intensified and it's like fine-tuned yeah but i don't want to sound like i didn't like this movie yeah i didn't love it and i will say that but i enjoyed it and i as far as like the entire franchise goes, it's definitely in the top five out of how many are there? Like eleven? Yeah, there are a lot. Yeah, I obviously one for me is at the top. It's untouchable at this point. I also really like three. Yeah, as we've talked about, 
and growing up, I was exposed to H2O mm-hmm. as a kid when that was coming out, and so I have connections to that. And I don't think that movie's half bad. Yeah. I rewatched it, I think, last year, and I was pretty into it. Also, I'm kind of a fan of Josh Hartnett, which I think I've already mentioned at least once before on here. It's going to be a running gag. (laughs) How many times can you mention Josh Hartnett? That's fine with me. I'll do it again. Josh Hartnett, and then then this. So for me, it's like those four are what make this franchise for me, even though now H2O technically doesn't count as part of that franchise. I mean, like I said, it's... There are going to be different continuities. There's going to be different ways to enjoy this medium. Uh, I still say that there's a lot of value in going back and rewatching some of the older stuff. Yeah. Um, but like I said, 78 is a classic. Oh, yeah. It's, it, will, it will live on as the, as the creator of so many modern horror concepts and tropes. I mean, it's technically not the first slasher. You know, there are definitely things that came before it. But... The modern slasher as we see it today, a lot of those things came from Michael. Yes, and if you listen to some podcasts like Halloween Unmasked, they do an episode about stuff that came after that ripped Halloween off. Yeah. And for anyone that is a fan of the Halloween franchise, I would recommend that podcast immensely. It's, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's eight parts, and it's all about Halloween. And each episode is sort of diving into different things, so sequels and rip-offs and remakes and then they do an episode where they talk about Lori and what Lori means for people and fans and what she does and the person hosting it has John Carpenter on there has mm-hmm. Nick Castle Jamie Lee like everybody from this movie and from the original that she could get including yeah. David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. And so we get so much good content from that. So, again, if you're a fan of that franchise, I'm not affiliated with them in any way. <laughs> I wish. I just really like I that wish. podcast. I yeah. wish. <laughs> um, I feel like that about wraps it up for me. Is there anything else that you maybe want to add? or? Like I said, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie. It was a fun ride. It wasn't perfect. I would be excited to see if they if they do find a really cool way to get him out of the basement. If you know what what kind of havoc he could wreak from there if you had to give it a rating i guess between one and ten knives <laughs> how many knives would you give i think i'm Halloween? saying i think i'm saying seven and a half to eight somewhere in that range like, like i said it wasn't it wasn't perfect uh it definitely had some flaws but like i said it did a lot of really cool things it had little nods to just about any movie in the franchise, and it was just, it was fun. I agree with that. I would say I'd go seven and a half, seven and a half uh, knives. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's going to be it for our discussion on Halloween. If you want to hear John talk more about it, you can check him out on the Entertainment Vortex on YouTube, where he yeah. does a full review from the movie. And if you want more Porcelain Peak, then head over to wordsforweirdos.com slash porcelainpeak where you can find great content about each episode and about other stuff regarding the podcast. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe while you are listening. And again, if you're a fan of Halloween, check out Halloween Unmasked. And we hope that you enjoyed this bonus episode. And as always, thank you for listening. We'll see you... Soon with a regular episode. <laughs> Have a good one. A Hyperforge Alpha Network production.